Welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. We're so glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining us another week of our podcast. Joining me today is uh, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. How are you? It got hot again. It is hot. You know, I said that today on the phone to a guy from uh, Georgia, and he's like, last time I talked to you was hot. And I was like, yes, but it's a different kind of hot. You know, like it was nice. Man, this weekend, this, this weather for 4th of July was like oh, some lovely. of the, I mean, it's maybe the nicest 4th of July that I can yeah. remember. My mom swears that there was a 4th of July in my lifetime in Oklahoma City where we had to wear like jeans and a hoodie. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, if she says that, I'll assume it's true. I don't remember when that was. I mean, I would guess sometime in the last 36 years, right, that we've had a cool 4th of July? Probably. I mean, I spent a 4th of July in Wisconsin about 10 years ago. Mm. That's the only 4th of July that I remember wearing a hoodie. Yeah. But, you know, but this was this was awesome. It was comfortable. Uh, I, you know, it was it was comfortable to be outside watching the fireworks. It was... Yeah. It was it good was, weather for a cookout, good weather for a parade. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and now it's freaking hot again. Happy I'm, birthday, America. You know, and, uh, and, and hot... And the thing is, people always say that, like, you know, if if it's a dry heat, that's better. And that's actually true in some ways. It is, but that's not what we have here in Oklahoma. No, no. It's freaking humid. And not, I'm in, just, not in the middle of Oklahoma. Yeah. I'm I am, beaver. They get some dry heat. That's, yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. So I'm over, I'm over, I'm over the heat. And also, I'm just, man, I'm over the, I'm over the COVID thing. I'm over it. I well, buckle up, partner. I'll tell you. I mean, I'll tell you. My my uh, my patients, not my patients at work, but my patients in myself. <laughs> C E, not not T S. <laughs> yes, uh, my patience is 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 wearing. Um, you know, just saw from the CDC today their weekly morbidity and morpa- morbidity and mortality report, uh, f- focused on Oklahoma. Uh, there, Ooh. there was a, uh, a big outbreak in a gymnastics facility in early April here in Oklahoma and, you know, and, uh, uh, the Delta variant was here in, uh, early May, uh, or excuse me, in early April. It infected like close to 50 people, 47, I think. Where was uh, this gymnastics so, thing? So it's de-identified, so we don't know, but it was in central Oklahoma. So somewhere here locally in the metro. So, like, so it's like. Twist and shout, or I mean, one of those in Edmond, probably. Yeah. Twenty-three gymnasts, three staff members, twenty-one of their household contacts. Mean age of the infected folks was fourteen, uh, so the COVID can affect children. Yeah. Um, the age range was five to fifty-eight. Uh, one of those people, one of those people, wound up in the ICU, uh, which is not good. Um, but you know what? Um, of those 47 people, do you know what 43 of them had in common? They were not vaccinated. They were not vaccinated. Golly, that's sad. Yeah, so that that's 90% of people in that outbreak um, I mean, were, that's, were unvaccinated. Which, that's how outbreaks happen. Yeah, uh, and, and two people, two adults, both of them were unvaccinated, wound up in the hospital, and one of those was in the ICU. So... Um, you know, um, of there were apparently in the contact tracing, there was really robust contact tracing done um, in relationship to this outbreak. There were 194 people that were identified as being exposed. Um, of those 194, 74 of them were eligible to get the vaccine, but the vast majority of them had not gotten the vaccine. If Listeners, if there's one of you out there who isn't vaccinated yet, please get vaccinated now is the time. You have two options at this point. It looks like get vaccinated or get COVID. Yep, that's it. There's no more. 
There's no more. There's no more time to wait and see. There's no more. You know, I had this conversation with a patient today, um, uh, a teenager and his mom, and they they were not really vaccine hesitant. They're very much pro vaccine, but mm-hmm. they're just a little, you know, they have some questions, and their questions were reasonable. But they said, you know, we're just a little concerned because. You know, he's going to be going back to school next year. Yeah. School's back in full time. Yep. Uh, there's not going to be any masking. There's not going to be any like virtual. It's going to be everybody together in the school. And we're just really concerned. And I said, yeah, you should be concerned. Yeah. I said, I will tell you, you can get vaccinated with me or this fall at school. He will get COVID. COVID. Yeah, that's like that's that's right where we're at. Um, and you know, they had some legitimate questions about some side effects that have been published for the vaccine, particularly as it relates to adolescent males. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, um, is it possible that he could get myocarditis from the vaccine? It is, but it is much more likely that he'd get myocarditis from COVID. So (laughs) like, right. right. It's not, you know, uh, so anyway, please, 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 please. If you're not vaccinated yet, please get vaccinated. And if you have friends, family that aren't vaccinated, please encourage them to as well. It, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next month, month and a half, as we near school, right? At the rate things are increasing, um, they may have to make decisions. Now, um, we should also look backwards and see the uh, relative speed and proficiency with which our leadership, elected officials and others made decisions about COVID in the first place. Now that we know about it, right? Um, I, I wish I could say it's going to be better and they're going to be faster, more responsive and, and better equipped, but they, I don't think they will. No, cause Andy COVID is a COVID is a personal responsibility problem. COVID. <laughs> that's I mean, at this point it is right. Like, I mean, it, it, it isn't, it is and it isn't right. Like, is it up to everybody to go get their vaccine? Yes. I think what is going to have to like to that and to that extent it's personal responsibility, but I also think, you know, state, state, um, state and local entities could do more to aggressively push vaccination, mm-hmm. which they're not, uh, or right. not enough. In my opinion, you know, we passed laws that, f- uh, forbade, yeah. um, mask requirements in schools and vaccine requirements for schools. Right. Um, you know, I think, I think what's going to come down to, and this doesn't, this, unfortunately this doesn't help the kids. Um, is employers, employer mandates. Right. Um, employer mandates have recently been shown to be constitutional. Um, this was in federal court. They were found to be constitutional. Since then, we've seen major employers around the metro, including mine, um, require vaccination. So now um, the, the hospital system I work for uh, is requiring vaccination. OU requires vaccination. Another major hospital system here is requiring vaccination. I think we're going to see more and more employers do that too because employers – Employers who rely on their employees, especially after this last year, to be um, productive mm-hmm. um, and 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 you know at their desks, whether at home or in the office, employers can't afford to have half their workforce out sick with Delta yeah. because they wouldn't get vaccinated. Um, so I think that a big private sector push. It's it's not the best way to do it in my opinion, but I think that's what we're going to have to see. That's right. We don't want to see Delta Dawn become Delta Dusk. I mean, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Scott, let's do a little bit of a recap on Oklahoma politics and government. Uh, last week, we discussed the closure of the prison in Fort Supply, right? Uh, and this week, State Senator Casey Murdoch, who's from the panhandle out there, 
uh, somewhat near Fort Supply, to the extent that anything is near the town of Felt. Um, he asked Governor Stitt to delay closing the prison. I think we talked about how it's really a executive branch decision because it's a it's a state agency decision. Senator Murdoch has raised concerns that closing the prison would cost the state money, which I think seems a little odd, or at least at odds with what the Department of Corrections has indicated, um, since obviously keeping a half-empty prison open is, you know, not inexpensive. Uh, also, you know, uh, uh, Leader Eccles from the House was quoted as saying that the governor's decision was a tremendous decision. Um, so how do you, Scott, what's your uh, crystal ball say how this is going to shake out? I think the prison's going to get closed. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what's going to happen. That's you what know, mine says, too. You know, uh, Murdoch, uh, Senator Murdoch says that he doesn't think... Well, so when he's asked, he's asked uh, Governor Stitt to delay closing the prison. The governor, should be said, has already signed off on this and was, I, to my understanding, sure. enthusiastic about it, right? Like, this isn't like right. that the governor didn't know what was happening. Senator Murdoch says he doesn't think Governor Stitt had all the information um, about how this was going to impact the local, the local community. Um, I don't know what the governor did or did not have at his disposal when he decided this, but, um, you know, he's, he's asking Governor Stitt to reverse course. And... Andy, has it been your experience um, during the Stitt administration that he's super willing to reverse course and say, no, we made a mistake, we'll change our plan? No, no. No, he's, <laughs> so, he's uh, Governor Stitt's a full speed ahead kind of guy. Yeah, so so I mean I could be wrong, but I don't really see that. I don't I don't really see that happening. And to be to to your point, um, Leader Eccles said no, we need to close the prison. But he also said what we talked about last week is that the state of Oklahoma needs to invest in this in this area to try and and help do other things to revitalize their economy, so yeah. it's not dependent on the prison. Right. I. Personally, think that makes Leader Eccles a uh, commie socialist Democrat. Is what it sounds like to me. Uh, <laughs> By we're advocating about, I mean, for that sounds to, that sounds to me like another word for central planning. <laughs> uh, that sounds like Leader Eccles is saying that the government might actually be able to create jobs if it invested some money in Fort Supply. And I would love it if uh, if the representative would come on our show and talk with us about how he thinks that can happen, um, given the other policies that he and his party support and things that they say. Uh, but, but no, I wholeheartedly agree with leader Eccles. We should close the prison and invest in that community, uh, to help revitalize their economy and, and help create some good, uh, jobs for the folks of, of Fort Supply. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but I think the prison's going to close. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I will, I will, uh, I will, I will see you. I will, I think you're right on that, but I will point out that, uh, the government investing in that part of the state to create jobs might not look the way that you're talking about it, right? It could be investing with air quotes by giving tax cuts tax to, cuts. to the largest employer yes. in Fort Supply. Yeah, <laughs> which was the prison. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but and lots of other things that you might disagree with. But Do you I think, think they'll find another electric vehicle company and give them three hundred million dollars to put their manufacturing plant in Fort Supply. Hey, I mean, Fort Supply is a good name for it, right? I mean, right? We built these and supplied by Fort Supply. I that mean, should be. Somebody call the Chamber of Commerce out there. Let's, Supplied by Fort Supply. Let's make this happen. All right. Um, yesterday was Thursday, and it was the legislature's uh, first town hall meeting about congressional redistricting. That's right, sports fans. We're back in the town hall season, and we're back in redistricting. 
Uh, and uh, I attended. It went about like you'd expect, Scott. It, there's, oh, probably 30 people in the room, including legislators and staff. The, you know, so roughly 20, maybe like regular folks, audience members. And uh, about half of those or so gave a public comment or asked a question. Was was Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was she there? She was not there. She was referenced once, though. Um, it wasn't. It, it wasn't like a typical, you know, AOC is a socialist and bad for our country. It was uh, a gentleman who was advocating that um, all of Oklahoma's congressional districts should be drawn so that they each contain some urban areas and some rural areas because we don't need districts like hers that are only a very urban district um, because it, they lose touch with the rest of the folks. And I... I disagree, but I get his point. I, I don't okay, think anyone agreed with him, but fine. Yeah, fine. that's fine. You are correct. Like I, I do not understand what it is like to be a cattle rancher in Western Oklahoma. Right, and I should understand more about that. Do cattle ranchers in Western Oklahoma like? Do they lose touch with what happens with people that lose? Of course, they live they in, in in urban areas. Sure, right. So, like, why is it always the cities are losing losing touch with the rural? Why, like, yeah, you know, uh, like it's like a one way street. Yes, like we are. It is correct that we are losing touch with each other, and there are things that we should do to like remedy that. Right, but like, it's not a one way thing. Right. No, I agree, and I I would argue it probably depends on who you ask. Right, like you and I both know plenty of uh, urban liberals from Oklahoma or around the country who might speak disparagingly about farmers and rural people, right? For example, all of the sentiment, this is from top-down national politics, that uh, bespeaks like a certain, not incredulity, but like a, a disdain for for people who, quote, you know, vote not in their best interests, right? Like vote against their best interest, which isn't always the case. That is often assigning someone's best interest to them while they may not, not agree. And that kind of rhetoric has blown up in Democrats' faces at the national over level, and right? Over and over again. Yeah, Obama, Hillary Clinton, all these folks. Anyway. You're talking about comments like guns and religion, right? Yes, right, yes. And uh, deplorables and all of that stuff. Uh, anyway, here in Oklahoma, the... We don't talk like that. Right. You, uh, uh, listeners, if you're interested, you can view the video from the meeting. It's on the Senate website. I will link to it in the show notes here. It's about an hour long. It's not particularly exciting. The first half is the presentation. The first maybe 15, 20 minutes was the presentation. Same ones they've always given. Uh, yeah, even T.W. Shannon was there. He did part of it. He showed up to earn his $6,250 a month. Um, <laughs> he's, on the, he's on the commission. He, no. He's like the uh, he's the he's the face of the House redistricting, that's right. which thus far has just meant him showing up to a few meetings. I don't. He's not like drawing the maps or anything. He is running for office. That's what's happening here. Anyway, if you'd like to uh, watch the video of the meeting, you're welcome to. It's on the Senate website. I will link to it in the show notes. It's about an hour long, and uh, it's mildly entertaining. Uh, but it's always interesting to see the public's comment. And in fact, you can see me. I asked, a, I thought it was a good question uh, about legislative redistricting. Um, also, I was there and I tweeted about the meeting from the People Not Politicians Twitter account, which is at PNP4, the number four, okay. Uh, so you can 
you can go read my tweets about it. Uh, I will also link to that in the show notes to make it even easier on you listeners, because that's why we're here. So today is uh, the Friday. It's also the one-year anniversary of the famous McGirt ruling, which we've discussed at length, I believe, on the show over the last year. Uh, and so naturally, yesterday, a court overturned a murder conviction due to the ruling. Now, uh, Scott, despite some of the news headlines and fear-mongering you might see, both from the media and from the governor's office, uh this guy isn't actually getting out of prison because he was also convicted of arson, desecrating a corpse, and possessing a firearm during the commission of a felony. All so, very bad things. Right. And so, but the headline's like, murder charge overturned. Like, yes, but the guy's staying in jail because he desecrated a corpse and set a building on fire, right? Like, it, there's more to this story than just the fact that one conviction was overturned because of a Supreme Court ruling which dun, 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 is already being re-prosecuted in federal court like it's supposed to. Yeah, I think actually um, this is this is um, this is important. I think the real uh, meat and potatoes, if you will, of McGirt and kind of what's hitting the fan with McGirt is that recently the Department of the Interior cited the McGirt decision as a reason to. Uh, assert federal jurisdiction over mining operations on Indian reservations in eastern Oklahoma, um, which really, 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 really has the the governor uh, and uh, in a in a in a tizzy. Yeah, um, he had a meeting with the Secretary of the Interior about this, um, where he said, "We think that this your position is wrong." My understanding is that uh, Madam Secretary said, "I understand. We anticipated that would be your response." Uh, this is our interpretation of the ruling and we're moving forward. So we're asserting federal jurisdiction here um, and taking it away from the state. Um, and so the governor is going to be suing uh, the yeah, feds. Right. Um, I think he's suing. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's suing her or if he's suing the department of the interior. I don't know how this, right. well, this I, works, but we're about to see some, some legal action that is going to determine does McGirt apply only to criminal cases right. as prosecuted under the Major Crimes Act. Which is what was brought up in the first place. Right. Or does this disestablishment of reservations hold beyond uh, criminal proceedings under uh, right. in the Major Crimes Act? I, I would say lack of disestablishment. Yes, 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 yes. A, a, the fact that they were not disestablished. So, uh, well, that begs the question from me... When it comes to those mining operations then, so basically it's been under the jurisdiction of the state and the feds are saying, no, no, it's on Indian land, so it's under our jurisdiction. How do the tribal entities, which are sovereign governance, right? Like, um, how do they feel? Are they, do they have, do they have ground to argue? I, I don't know. My, my assumption is that this is happening because of provisions that are in the treaties that are at play here. That we've also ignored. That's, but, I mean, but apparently aren't going to anymore, right? I mean, I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm no attorney, um, and certainly not when it comes to tribal law. But if I was uh, the, you know, Cherokee Nation or something, and mines are on my land, and the feds are saying no, the state can't do it; it's up to us. I'd be like, well, hang on there, Hoss. Like, how about it's our land, and we can choose to lease it out to whomever we choose or we can choose to mine it ourselves 
I mean, that makes sense to me. You gave us the land, and you said you didn't take it away, so we're going to keep it. Well, and the thing is, under under the Biden administration, and particularly under the current Secretary of the Interior, that actually may be what happens. Um, so our our the our current Secretary of the Interior, and I'm 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 not saying her name because I don't want to mispronounce it. Um, um, her her she is the. She is the first uh, native secretary right. of the interior yeah. that we have have ever had, um, and so I don't know this, but it would not surprise me if her interpretation of the law is no, we have the feds have jurisdiction over this, and the way that we are going to like use that jurisdiction mm-hmm. is to tell the tribes that they can do with it whatever they want. Right. I just. I mean. I, I hope that's the case, right? Like, it just always feels like it's the feds and the state are two parents arguing over a kid who's in the room and, I mean, like, is is 15 years old and has a valid opinion on things, right? It's And so I just don't want the tribes to get hosed again in some other unanticipated way. So, uh, anyway, we'll we will pay attention to that. And speaking of which, Scott, guess what's happening on next Tuesday – in Tulsa. Uh, if I was going to guess, I would guess that the governor is going to hold a community impact forum on the McGirt ruling and its implications. You are correct, man. You're, man, I'm a good guesser. You're so good. That's right. The governor is holding a, quote, community impact forum. He did one of these or a few of these about race, right? In which I think the first one was all white people, uh, but it was about like race relations and policing. Uh, this one is about the McGirt ruling and its implications uh, specifically to do with, again, law enforcement. So it's being co-organized by the Tulsa County District Attorney and the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office. The sheriff will be there with the governor and uh, several other district attorney, district's attorney. <laughs> I think it's districts. I think it's, now you've got, I think it's <laughs> district attorneys. Uh, okay, so we've got, so we've got the governor, the uh, Tulsa County Sheriff, the DA's, um, which one of the tribes are going to be there? The, well, as far as I know, thus far, none. Wait, um, wait. What? So in the Tulsa World article, which is in the show notes here, it says that uh, for the, the tribal leaders all said they weren't invited. And the Tulsa County DA is like, no, no, we emailed you. Or we emailed your attorneys general, right? Like, uh, or whatever the tribal general attorney person is. And... So the paper asked them, and three of the tribe's attorneys general said, oh, yeah, we got an email that just said this was happening, and it said a formal invitation will follow. Oh, that it said that you and your chiefs are going to be invited to this. We'll send a formal invitation, and they never did. And no, that doesn't sound like Governor Stitt. I, I mean, I don't, are they looking – I don't know if it's a calendar invite or like an evite – or like a, something with foil, like an envelope that they mail. I don't know what the proper send the tribes their Calendly link. Right, yeah, hey, I love Calendly. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what the protocol is for inviting tribal entities to a community impact forum that you know they're going to feel like is a uh, is just political theater. I mean, yeah, I think you know, we'll we'll. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. It's also going to be interesting to see how this plays out um, as these, you know, cases about cases about state versus federal jurisdiction, cases about taxation, cases about land ownership, lease ownership, like 
as all of these non-criminal issues related to McGirt make their way through the courts, and I think invariably land up at the Supreme Court, it's going to be interesting to see because it's a different Supreme Court now that than the one that decided the case. McGirt was a five to four decision with, uh, I believe, right? It was five to four decision. Yes. Um, with Justice Gorsuch in the minority, in the majority, uh, writing the opinion, but being joined by Justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, Breyer and Elena Justice uh, Kagan, right? Yeah. Um, Justice Ginsburg is no longer there. May she rest in peace, being replaced by uh, Justice Barrett. And so, you know, I don't, you know, assuming that Justice Gorsuch were to believe that this, the, the failure to disestablish the reservations for the purposes of the Major Crimes Act applied to other areas of law, is there a five justice majority mm, yeah. still on the court to support that. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Either. That's uh, that's fascinating. I, I, I can only imagine that the way this community impact form is going to go down is it's going to be the governor and a number of law enforcement officers or agents um, talking about convictions being overturned and the threat on to people's safety of all these people being of having their convictions overturned. However, there's only been, has anyone been released because of this? Only like one or two, I think. I think there have been transfers from from state custody to federal custody, but I don't think anyone has been released. I think they've all been recharged under federal law, which yeah. is the point. Right. And I don't. I mean, I there. I guess there's a lot more at stake than just this, but um, and that's why it's like, oh, this is the way we can scare the public is tell them like, rapists and murderers are being having their their convictions overturned, but it, there should be a comma there and then it should say and then they're being convicted in federal court but the real issue isn't the crime right the real yeah. issue is mining operations taxation all of these things we'll have to see if we can we'll have to see if we can get a uh let's see if we can get a legal expert on the show to help us sort through some of these questions yeah yeah well um scott i think we're gonna have a short episode this week it's it's been summertime. Things we've kind of hit the highlights. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to discuss? Interim studies. So all the oh inter- yeah, all, I forgot all about those <laughs> interim studies. All all of the requested interim studies uh, in the Senate were approved. There were initially seventy two requested. One was withdrawn. We don't know what that was, or at least I don't. The remaining seventy one were all approved by uh, Senate Pro Tem Treat. Uh, the House they won't announce. For another couple of weeks until uh, when when which of their studies are approved, um, and then they have until like November to complete their interim studies, and then it's bill filing time, and then uh, and then it's January, and then and then we're off to the races. That's right, and you forget redistricting in special session in there as I well. I mean, yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a hoot and a half. It is so. Uh, it's really interesting, I think, to look at the interim studies. If you go to OKSenate.gov, you can find them. It's right on the homepage. It's one of the little things that the main graphic there. Uh, you can view the list of them, and they are far-reaching, right? The second one, I, well, geez, the first one is a long title. Investigate and research the history, advantages, disadvantages, benefits, burdens, qualifications, and possible disqualifications for a hospital to receive not-for-profit status. The second one just says daylight savings time, which I hope we get rid of that deal. 
Um, but a lot of them are, you know, there's medical marijuana, um, the needs of the state park system. Uh, Senator McCourtney, friend of the show, the rising cost of health care and the failure of the current system to incentivize lower prices. Um, study, if Oklahoma has an appropriate number of child welfare workers to res- service the needs of Oklahomans. No. The answer is no. <laughs> Correct. They, um, oh, Scott, this is right up your alley. Do payment disparities between rural and urban providers create gaps in service to either type of community? That is an interesting question. It doesn't say what kind of providers. I assume uh, towing services. (laughs) Could be anything. Could be anything. Um, More medical marijuana. More medical marijuana. Um, To evaluate the effectiveness of Oklahoma's current tuition assistance program for National Guard service members. Interesting. Supporting pregnant women and expectant fathers in high school. Are fathers expectant? I guess... I know what they're saying. It just seems... That's an, that is an odd way to put it. Yeah. Um, nursing accommodations for incarcerated mothers. That's a real deal. Golly, that sucks. Like, everything about that sucks. Because you know it's there's no accommodations, and it's got to be terrible to be a mother of an infant and be incarcerated. That's very difficult. Tagging trailers. Do you think that's about graffiti? I think so. Yeah, that seems like it would be. Legislative budget transparency from Senator Floyd. That sounds like uh, a study that is needed and will go nowhere. (laughs) This is the case of most interim studies. Comparing provider settings to determine why Oklahoma's healthcare settings are inadequately staffed. Lots about healthcare. Lots about, I mean, that's good. Cannabis. One of them just says Oklahoma cannabis industry. So that could be anything. There's a lot of stuff going on with weed. Did you uh, put the show? Josh West had a Facebook post today talking about the just like I did not realize that apparently we just have rampant uh, black market. Oh, yeah. Operations like all over rural Oklahoma. Yeah, we should have uh, Ryan Kiesel on. I was talking to him about that the other day that, yeah, um, until that seed to sale program gets up and running. um, Some I mean, there's nothing. There's no mechanism right now for a retailer to know with certainty where that product came from. Sure. Right? Like, and that's the goal of the seed to sale. Yes, it might, it is bureaucracy, but it, it legitimately like does help treat this, right? Also, there's plenty of grow operations that are just growing weed and, and it's just flowing in the black market. So you've got black market weed coming into Oklahoma, um, people grow in their backyard, their buddy owns a dispensary, they take it there, they sell it, right? There's like, it's just the Wild West out there. And so yep. this new system is supposed to, well, quite literally track it from seed to sale. So you know where it was grown, where it was tested, um, and like everything about it, which is important because, Scott, this week, uh, just yesterday, Tyson Foods recalled like 4.7 million tons of or pounds of chicken or something yeah. for another outbreak of something. Well, if... That kind of stuff happens, we know, with lettuce, with chives, with chicken, all these things, right? That kind of stuff can happen with medical marijuana as well. And if a farm, I don't know, sprays all their stuff with a pesticide, doesn't actually get it tested, sells it, and you get sick, you got no recourse. There was a a major uh, listeria outbreak this uh, week, too. So there's a uh, 
a, a raw milk manufacturer in uh, uh, yeah. a raw milk manufacturer in Claremore, I think, mm-hmm. that uh, recalled a recalled a lot of their uh, raw milk um, because it was found to uh, have listeria in it, which is bad bad news. Listeria is a bad disease, so it'll kill you. Uh, if any of you bought listeria, uh, bought raw milk in uh, in uh, uh, Claremore, Claremore recently, then you might want to throw it away. But also. Just, I mean, I'm not a medical professional like you are, but don't drink raw milk. I mean, there's also that. Do you, Pasteurization saves people. Effie has a story about some lawmakers somewhere that had a bill supporting raw milk, and they all drank it on the floor of the chamber as a show of support, and they all got sick. So, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I drank raw milk for a little while from a co-op for like a year. Um, and I'll tell you something. It was awesome. It was, it was so good. Like, is it notably I, better than I think pasteurized? Most, I think it's mostly because it's non-homogenized, right? So, so you get the unique flavor of that cow's udder. Well, and 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 uh, it's so creamy, right? Like it's so rich because right. there's literally cream, right, like floating at the top, yeah, that you can like pick out. I right. mean, it's oh, it's awesome. I mean, it's designed to raise a, a baby calf into a full-grown cow. So, I mean, yeah, that's why. But uh, it is not required. To drink it. You could drink pasteurized and homogenized and save your life. But yes, don't do what I did. Go do 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 as I say, do, not as do, I do. Do do not drink raw milk. I don't. Uh, I don't. Even though I did for a very very short time. Okay. So don't Excellent. do it. And uh, that's the end of my advice for the week. All right. Well, on that note, we will end this episode. Listeners, thank you for being here. Scott, thank you for being here. Always. And uh, listeners, if you would like to participate in any of the subsequent town hall meetings about redistricting next week there is a virtual one you can do it from your home and then uh, towards the end of this month there's four more in-person ones and then a total of two virtual ones you can find them all on peoplenotpoliticians.org click on the events I made I put them on Eventbrite so you can drop them right in your calendar it makes it super easy they're also on the House and Senate websites but it's harder to navigate over there Okay, stay cool, have a good week. Don't forget that decisions are made by those who show up. We'll see you later.